0: Well, I know this isn't the Apple Today podcast, but we've got to acknowledge that
1: there was an event this week which has put a big hole in my wallet. Oh, <laughs> did it? Yeah. it's. This is one of those tech events that sucked all the air out of the tech room for the entire week that we're recording. There's just no way around it. So you get a big boy, you get one of them uh, Max Max. I actually felt really sorry for Google just to, just to digress for a second because they
0: held their Pixel event the day after Apple announced all these MacBooks. Yeah. And you could just tell all the tech press were like, yeah, we've already heard all about this Pixel thing macbook macbook
1: macbook let's just cover the macbook i know and google announced their tensor soc and it really didn't get much interest in it but not at all you know like i told you after the event like one of my first thoughts was like oh man you know alex what i'm kind of excited about is the idea of one of these as a home server i've been thinking of this more and more you know when a mac mini is just sitting there not doing much the processor's taking hardly any power 12 watts is like an average load like that's incredible and uh you could really see if they're building an H.264 accelerated encoding and decoding in these chips, and these things are low power, and they have Thunderbolt expansion, and who knows if they'll make desktop models, I could see these being a pretty legitimate home server, replacing Pi's. Yeah, I was thinking the the biggest problem with it would
0: be connecting disks up to the damn thing. But if you have Thunderbolt, I suppose you could be baller and spend thousands of dollars on a Thunderbolt shelf and connect disks that way if you like.
1: You know, I'd much prefer real expansion, right? But in my for like, like for my situation, I'm doing USB storage. I never thought I would do USB storage in a million years, but here I am with the Raspberry Pi four, and I have pooled USB storage. So Thunderbolt, would, external Thunderbolt, would actually be an upgrade for me. <laughs> I see you like to live dangerously. I do. You know, that's why I like to stay trained, just in case I ever need a plan B. And you can too, if you go to a cloudguru.com. Yes, this episode is brought to you by a Cloud Guru, the leader in learning for the cloud, Linux, and other modern tech skills. Hundreds of courses and thousands of hands-on labs. Get certified, get hired, get learning at a cloudguru.com. A couple of months ago, I sold my 16-inch
0: MacBook Pro. I had an i9 model with a 5600M Radeon GPU in it. It was, you know, like a $4,000, $4,500 laptop. Kind of crazy, actually, when you think about it. Yeah. Uh, And I sold it to somebody uh, two months ago, because obviously we've known this event's been coming for a while. And I thought, right, can I live with just an M1 MacBook Air as my primary system for... Two or three months until these new MacBooks come out. And you also have a desktop system as well. So it's not like your only computer. True, but uh, I do 99% of my work now on this MacBook Air, the fanless MacBook Air. Do you? It is a phenomenal system, truly. And uh, I'm very excited. I've ordered one of the M1 Max 14-inch MacBook Pros.
1: Oh uh, yeah, the four—you know—the fourteen-inch seems like a pretty sweet rig. A lot of horsepower for a pretty small footprint. Sixty-four gigs of RAM in that bad boy. I have no idea why I need oh! sixty-four gigs of RAM, but hey, you know, <laughs> in for a penny, in for a pound. That's a tough one, huh? Because it's like you can't change it after the fact. So if you if you if you think maybe you're going to use a lot of RAM, you might as well go all the way in. But And I don't really know how this works, but I think that also means then you've got 64 gigs of video RAM addressable or something like that. Because I know it's a unified memory space. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, 32 core
0: GPU and the M1 Max, you know, 10 10 core, whatever it is. I'm I'm not entirely sure. Honestly, I, I watched the event. And I pressed go on my purchase after the store went live within about three or four minutes. Honestly, I I, I really didn't spend very long because it, it's 2021 and everything is in short supply. And I knew yep. if I waited even an hour, yep. it was going to take weeks extra.
1: Yep, 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 yep. I know it. And I'll tell you, I would that instant. I would have been there with that instant buy if they had announced everything that's in that 14 inch MacBook in a mini, a little headless Mac Mini. That would have been the way for me. That. Like I said, that, just would make it, that would just be such an incredible server. I, but also, with that kind of horsepower, you could also have it be your desktop. Like, that's, for me, a consolidation. That'd be nice. The only thing missing from this new
0: set of laptops for me was a single USB-A port. I think it was possibly asking a bit too much for them to put that one back in, but I was hoping because, you know, being back in England last month, I was doing a lot of stuff with old tech. You know, I was taking files off my mum's old Windows XP laptops. I needed USB-A, yep. so I had to have a dongle for yeah. that. So I'm still going to have to keep that one around. But thank the Lord, there's an SD card slot. Yes,
1: there is. Yes, there is. Hallelujah. Yes. And, you know, people say, why do you need SD? It's like, come on, man. Even if you don't have a camera that uses it, you could use it for external storage, portable storage. It's great for backup. It's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think they set the bar. I really think they set the bar with this one. Um, and I, I'm really kind of looking forward to see where the Asahi Linux team gets with support for Linux, mm. because I could see running these things with macOS and then trying to do Docker on top of all of that. But it seems like a lot of pain in the knee when you could just run Linux directly on there. So I'm, I'm, and I think they're making good progress. We'll see where that goes. I have I have an M1 Mac Mini now. I haven't gotten through like setting it up yet, but my intention is to try Asahi on it and see how it goes. And of course. I ordered the Mac Mini. I thought all right fine. I know I know Asahi Linux will support this cuz that's what the developers are using. So even though I know that Apple's about even though I knew. I knew Apple was about to announce new machines. I ordered the Mini M1 even risking there might have been an updated Mini because I knew that would have the best compatibility. But I have to say, the next day Apple announced the event. And it still hurt. It still felt like I should have waited, but I, it's good. It's here now. I've already got it. But they didn't announce anything yeah. no. in the Mac mini form That's factor. True.
0: So in a way you have indicated.
1: That's true. I suppose so. I suppose so. I've been trying to, I've just been trying to think of my setup and how I'm going to redo it because now that I am doing so much more on my Raspberry Pi in Home Assistant, I'm running MQTT now and I've got a lot more automations going and I'm now doing power statistical tracking for a lot of different devices and it has noticeably slowed down. The speed difference now between my home assistant blue, which is doing a lot less, and the Raspberry Pi 4 in the RV is extremely noticeable. It's it's night and day. Like we're talking like 10 minutes, 15 minutes to do a snapshot on the Raspberry Pi, and two minutes to do a snapshot on the Home Assistant Blue. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So you were thinking about doing some stuff with your router at the studio. Have you gotten any further with that yet? Not, not necessarily. Um, we hit a wall on a, a hardware wall. But uh, one thing we're thinking about trying in, in the meantime until we get the right hardware, because we, were, we, wanted, we found this nice little x86 box that we thought would work really well. But there's just, we just can't, we cannot get it. Nobody has it available right now. Yeah. Yeah. So we are thinking about just in the interim trying a Raspberry Pi just as a temporary solution.
0: I saw an interesting post on this, which I'll try and find and put in the, the show notes, where people were using VLANs to actually use a Raspberry Pi 4 and its single Ethernet port as both a WAN and a LAN port. So I thought that might be
1: an interesting experiment for you to try. Hmm. My thought was, is put the WAN... On a USB Ethernet, because USB three is pretty pretty good, you know, and it's just Comcast. So I could put that on on a yeah. USB Ethernet, and then the land side would be connected to the
0: actual Ethernet port. Well, if you try out OpenSense, which is my current favorite firewall of of choice for the self builders, uh, I've come across a really cool repo. I think I've mentioned it briefly on the show, but I'm going to go into a bit more detail today. This is from a guy on Twitter who goes by the handle m i m u underscore m u c. That rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? There's a link to his Twitter in the uh, in the show notes. But essentially, what this does this uh, this repo is it provides a whole bunch of plugins for OpenSense that aren't officially supported. So there's stuff in there like traffic, speed test, caddy unify controller but for me the killer app is that i can now run adguard home directly on my OpenSense instance as well so i've completely disabled the unbound dns that's built into OpenSense and just replaced it completely with adguard home and for me that's been really solid and uh, when i'm coming in over wireguard i can now get adguard home straight away on the same box as wireguard
1: it's just really nice hmm yeah, I have to say that that is a very compelling setup. And this kind of reminds me a little bit of Hacks for Home Assistant, where it's a community-created set of repositories that you can add on. It's a very similar deal, yeah. And it's nice to see this. Like, the essentials are in there. Uh, I also noticed that, of course, you've got speed is in there. Makes sense. Grafana, Influx, that's all really nice to have as, you know, an easy-to-install add-on. That's great. If you wanted to, you could even run
0: Mosquito, MQTT, uh, there's a so it's split into two halves, right? There, there's a bunch of plugins which have a bit more about them, so they require graphical configuration and that kind of thing. But there's also a list of packages which, if if you install those, you'll need to drop to the terminal to configure those. And there's a few that stand out for me in here: uh, Cloudflare D, yeah. which is pretty useful. Yeah. Uh, Influx is in there, Mosquito, Smoke Ping. Yeah, you can actually run that directly on your firewall. Tailscale, which you know I love these days. So, yeah, I've I found this repository to be an incredibly valuable asset to make open sense. It just takes it to that next level for me. And really makes it that all-in-one box. Absolutely. I mean, you could argue it's now a single point of failure for a bit more stuff, but it was doing DNS and inter anyway. So if that went out when I was in England, I was
1: out of luck anyway. So, phew am I bothered? You're not a thousand person enterprise, you know, like, yes, there is more risk to having on one box. But when you're in a home, there's also advantages to simplifying and reducing power usage. Absolutely.
0: Now, uh, talking of, you know, monitoring and keeping things available and stuff like that, we've set up a new status page for the network using one of my new favorite tools in the
1: world called Uptime Kuma. And isn't this just Isn't this nice and clean? And we're putting it all out there, you know? Like, if there's an outage, you're going to know about it. Status.jupiterbroadcasting.com. I mean, I used to use StatPing for a little while, but then there was a new version came along
0: and it broke a bunch of stuff, and then the developer kind of got bored and just quit, I think, is what happened. Um, I mean, if you go to the StatPing repository now, the last update was about 10 months ago. I did see on Reddit this week that there's a StatPing-NG fork appeared, a StatPing, so we'll have to keep our eye on that one. But Uptime Kuma is designed after Uptime Robot, if you're familiar with that one. There's a live demo on their GitHub page, which is linked in the show notes. And this thing is, it's just simple. You know, it monitors uh, an an endpoint, so it could be an API, or in our case, it could be an RSS feed for, for all the shows that we have as a network. And then I've got a group with me, Chris and Wes in it, that we all get a a notification if these pings fail for more than three minutes Uh, so it supports telegram discord uh, gotify there's a bunch of stuff it supports out of the box Uh, and i've just run it in a container on uh, a separate
1: linode instance and it it just works great yeah and it's given us a nice just easy no-brainer overview of what's going on in fact just Recently, we had a listener say, hey, is such and such RSS feed down? Or was there no show today? You go, Let me go check. Fold <laughs> the status feed. <laughs> yeah. Nope, it's up. <laughs> Linode.com slash SSH. Go there to receive $100 and 60-day credit, and you support the show. Linode can be your lab in the cloud. That's how I use them. I'm always trying things out because their infrastructure is super fast. They're constantly investing in that. They are their own ISP. So all of their connections between data centers and out to the internet are super fast. The hypervisors have 40 gigabit connections coming in. And Leno just recently revamped their block storage with MVME super fast PCIe disks. And they cost 30 to 50% less than the major cloud providers out there. So it's just a great way to experiment and try something out. And then grow it and scale it up because they make it really straightforward to expand the RAM, the storage, and you can can utilize things like object storage. They have S3 compatible object storage that you can use to increase storage as much as you like. I mean, that kind of stuff makes it super flexible, but it's just a great way to learn, too. And if you've never set anything up before, don't worry. Not only do they have, like, great guides, super good tutorials, but they also just have one-click deployment. So you could do a one-click deployment of NextCloud and see if you like it. Or anything, really, because you can start with a pretty base image of just the OS you like, some container runtime stuff, and then you add the container on top of that and try it out. And I know for some of us, you're willing to invest the time to learn something, but you want to see if it's worth it first. And Linode is great for that kind of thing. I'll do a one-click. I'll figure out how it's set up and how it's running, if I like the application, if it's worth all the effort. And then I'll often rebuild it either locally or on Linode with a diy setup or in my existing application server one of the things that we do here is we run all of our jupyter broadcasting services up on linode for anything that's public facing and there's a lot of like catch-all services that just do things like um, supply us a pasteboard for us to put our emails from our listeners or check the uptime of a server or or host our hedge doc markdown collaborative editing instance and There's applications, and you can put all of that just on one Linode because they're so crazy powerful and fast. If it runs on Linux, it's going to run on Linode. They started in 2003 as one of the first in this business, and they have refined and honed it ever since. And nobody does it like them, and they back it up with the best customer service in the business. I've been a customer for more than two years now, and I have been happy every single day. They haven't let me down yet. Go try them out, support the show, and get yourself a $100. Linode.com slash SSH. Well, it's time to welcome back to the show our resident doorbell
0: expert, Morgan the Doorbell Guy. Welcome back, Morgan. How you doing?
2: Thank you. I'm not sure how I feel about the doorbell guy, but it's a pleasure joining back.
0: Hey, we had a jingle with that phrase in it. So, you, I mean, that, that name's going to stick now. Yeah, I think that's
2: true. That is true. I think it's time to actually join Twitter as the doorbell guy. <laughs>
1: yeah, although today we're not just talking doorbells. We aren't, no. Uh,
0: We thought we'd finally bring up Frigate, which is a new NVR network video recorder piece of software. It's free and open source. And Morgan, you've been playing with it.
2: Yeah, so I went ahead and I got it set up. Based on the previous uh, episode where you mentioned WiseBridge, I was able to get WiseBridge set up really quickly. Um, It found my doorbell. It found, you know, all my V3s. And I was able to pipe using RTSP from uh, Wisebridge over into a frigate. It was a little difficult to get set up, mainly because I couldn't read the docs very well, but once I got it up and running, it it was pretty good. One thing I would recommend though, and I know this is pretty crazy, uh, go with the beta. The beta seems to be where the, the software writer's going. He did a lot of changes 24 uh, 7 recording, for example, is now standard in the 9 beta. But the biggest improvement that I saw over p- 0.8 was GPU acceleration worked, which was huge. You know, obviously, it recommends you have a Coral device. You definitely want a GPU accelerator if you're running a WISE doorbell, because the WISE doorbell comes in at 90 degrees. So you either rotate it at the WISE bridge, which I don't recommend, doesn't support GPU acceleration, or you do it in Frigate. So that, that little adjustment of just 90 degrees is going to eat up your CPU.
0: Yeah, that's, that's just what I was going to say, actually. It was You were using the iGPU built into your CPU with uh, QuickSync to do all of that transcoding, right?
2: That's correct. Yeah, so it, as I mentioned uh, when I was on the show not too long ago, I purchased the u from you running an i5-8500T. Switching over to the GPU QuickSync, it was, I think my CPUs are at 41, 42C steady, and that's monitoring three cameras.
0: So for those that aren't familiar, Frigate is a real-time object detection piece of software. It uses the Google TensorFlow library to perform real-time object detection. So it can do stuff like pick out cars, people, bears, dogs, cats. And actually, Morgan, you told me the other day that you think it saved your cat's life.
2: Yeah, so I have kids. I mentioned before on the show that I have kids. And the downside of kids is that they're often, you know, they can be careless without realizing it. We came back from dinner one night, one of the rare outings, you know, we come back in, the kids are messing around outside, they get yelled at to come inside, and somebody doesn't c- close the front door properly. We hear the door open about an hour later from the alarm, somebody goes and shuts it, no big deal. Getting ready to go to bed, so I quickly grabbed my phone, I looked at Telegram, and I noticed that it said a cat was detected at the doorbell. We have a couple stray cats in the neighborhood, didn't think anything of it, but for some reason I decided to look at the video. And in the video, I see these two yellow eyes peering out of the bushes, and out comes my 10 month old cat. Babe, wake up. The cat's outside. We go outside. We spent 30 minutes looking for the cat, and we find the cat across the street under the Naples car. You know, it was, it, it's pretty crazy to think that home automation and, you know, AI and ML potentially saved my cat's life. Right. You had to get it. That was part of it, too, is you have to get it
1: in front of your face. Just really kind of a funny, ironic thing. I also had a situation with a cat. Just the other day, I I decided to put a, a little Wi-Fi camera under the RV just to watch what was going on while we were parked out in the woods. And the morning we were leaving, I checked. I checked my camera events and found out that a cat was living under the RV. And I don't know what would have happened if we would have fired up and started rolling because we were packing up and getting ready to go. And the cameras and the alert that there was motion down there. In my case, it wasn't as nice and fancy as yours, but it told it alerted me, and I thought, you know what. I better check this. I don't always check these because anything can set it off, really. But that one time I thought, I'm, I'm going to check that. And man, was I surprised when I pulled that up and saw a cat. stowaway <laughs> away You much. were too.
2: Yeah. So to talk more about Frigate, um, one of the things that I would recommend, obviously I mentioned this, and the, the project mentions it as well, you definitely want to get a Coral device. Uh, they do not recommend using CPU for the detection. And as, as I found when I first set it up, it is very cpu intensive even with gpu acceleration you think you still need a coral yes you definitely want to get a coral uh, the downside is finding them i had to purchase mine off of ebay for twice the msrp that is the reality right now of the you know supply chain shortages but it's fantastic it, you plug it in through usb you pass it in through your docker file it detects it right away and it's good to, you're good to go
1: unless you're alex and it makes your instance crash every time <laughs> Yeah, I've just been trying to run it on a Raspberry Pi 4 I've
0: got uh, just for testing for this episode, and I've been having kernel panics, so goodness knows what's happening over here, but uh, it's not working terribly well for me. But I know that you've had some success, so why don't you tell us more about it?
2: So my my doorbell sits on that infamous 45-degree angle. You know, I went out and bought the uh, the Wise doorbell, specifically because of the Wise bridge that came out, and I'm on a corner. So I'm able to see two of my neighbor's houses because of the way the house curves and I get alerts from telegram that says a human you know a person has been detected on the the doorbell so I of course watch the video and I kid you not all the way across the street this itty little bitty little speck of a human being walking their dog so it detects the dog and the person you know you do have some false negatives like it sometimes it tells me my cat is a dog but in the end of the day the detection quality of frigate is really good uh, i have it set up to only retain you know uh, to retain one day worth of video since i send all the clips to telegram i abuse the free telegram uh you know storage <laughs> so it i think right now with the three cameras they're all running hd you know streamed from wisebridge I'm um, seven or eight gigs a day and it auto refreshes it really just needs an RTSP
1: feed. You use WiseBridge, but any camera that had RTMP would work?
2: Correct. So uh, I, I actually had a brand new Wise V3 sitting in the box. I pulled it out, set it up, flashed the, the new RTSP firmware, and it, it did work. Uh, I have not migrated any of the, the other cameras. This one is still sitting on my desk. So the idea is I will move all of the V3s over uh to the rtsp the downside is i don't see the doorbell camera getting Mm -hmm. rtsp yeah
1: i don't think so i also think there may be more of an encoding delay i'm not sure but i've been testing this it is possible wise bridge may actually be faster than running the rtsp firmware directly on the wise camera because right now with uh and i'm very grateful wise released the rtsp firmware for the v3 thank you wise but I'm getting about a two and a half, three second encoding delay when I pull it directly off the camera. Whereas with WiseBridge, it's nearly immediate.
2: Correct. Yeah, that, that is one of the the best features, right? It's It detects the cameras. You don't have to modify anything. But then again, as we all know, that is the inherent fear. How long before they turn it off? There are only certain firmwares that are supported. Uh, the V2s were working and a new firmware came out and then they stopped working. And in all honesty, we, we are at the mercy of, of WISE, whereas you flash the RTSP, and, you know, it, it does work. They do have a LAN mode only on uh, the WISE bridge, which is great, but again, you still have to authenticate. And it, it, I'm pretty sure it's not gonna take long before they say, this is eating into our money. Um, one of the big issues I saw personally, especially with the WISE app, just to talk about how they, they, they steal features away from you, You used to have the ability to save video clips to your phone. I was trying to save a video clip from the Wise app to send to the wife last night, and I realized that I don't have that option anymore. Do you have an SD card in the camera? No, so I don't run the SD cards. Uh, I actually took all the SD cards out since I'm now using Frigate. Right. There is that feature. You can still do like the playback thing if you have an SD card and that kind of stuff. Yeah. The question is, how many customers are actually really running the SD card?
1: Yeah, and it's more expensive too. It adds. I mean, one of the nice advantages is they're pretty low cost cameras, but <laughs> you add an SD card, and you almost double the price. You mentioned briefly that you're not using the Home Assistant integration, but I got to be honest with you, Morgan. That that seems like that's why I would want to use Frigate because it creates sensor entities and camera entities and switch entities in Home Assistant for me, and it uses Home Assistant's media browser to show me the still clips from motion from. The camera feeds that it detects, like the Home Assistant integration, seems like the perfect aspect of this. But you, you said, no, nah, I don't actually like it. Was it not working well? What happened there?
2: Well, it's it's not that I didn't like it. It was the version it was using was was the stable version. You could you didn't have the option to use whenever I set it up. And I'll be honest with you, I'm like a lot of people. It's working right now, so I haven't revisited it <laughs> because it right. works. But at the time, dot nine uh, was still in beta, and when you did the eight, when you installed the Home Assistant uh, when you installed the Home Assistant integration, the dot eight was the only gotcha. one was there. And again, the the dot eight I was not working for me at all with GPU acceleration, and that was definitely a need. I, the features were great; it was super easy to set up Telegram. You know, use uh, whenever you had the Home Assistant integration. It was easy to set up Telegram. But definitely, when when he gets dot nine or he gets the 1.0 release up and running, use the Home Home Assistant integration. But for right now, if it dur- currently doesn't support dot nine, the beta. You know, you want you want to get some of these extra features, the 24/7 recording, the GPU acceleration. You're definitely going to have to look at doing it outside and Docker Compose separately.
1: And then it sounds like to really make it sing, get one of those Google Coral devices to do the specific machine learning required for the quick object identification, that's really the cherry on top.
0: It is. So that thing is like a machine learning AI, it's, I don't know, it's about the size of two fingers, like next to each other, like a very small candy bar or something. And it, this thing is, it's, it's pretty cool if you think about it. It's basically a machine learning chip on a USB stick essentially what it is. And uh, it just accelerated everything. Like, like Morgan said, the CPU usage just disappeared when we plugged this thing in. It was pretty incredible. It makes me really appreciate the impact of dedicated silicon. So like when I look at the Apple Silicon announcement this week, and they're talking about the dedicated ProRes encoding uh, circuitry that's in their new CPUs, it's a similar thing here, right? We're kind of entering a new era in computing. We're kind of leaving the general purpose CPU only stuff behind and moving into sort of more ASIC dedicated hardware territory. And it's very impressive what this little thing can do.
2: So one last update before I go, and Alex will truly enjoy this. I have the worst luck possible. I always wait until the last minute and say, okay, let me just go ahead and buy this. I buy it and a month later, they come out with a new version. Wyze just announced the new Doorbell Pro, it's bigger. It has the higher, uh, the fisheye, and I really like it. And I'm probably going to buy it, which means I'll be back to then review that doorbell. And I'll take the doorbell. Very good. That's
1: the doorbell guy.
2: You see? Good. It's just how it works. <laughs>
1: Well, we'll also have links to uh, Morgan's create configs in the show notes, too, if anybody out there needs a few pointers. Thanks for sharing those with us, Morgan.
2: Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me back on the show, guys. It's always fun. And uh, maybe I'll come back with a different review that isn't a doorbell. Nah, not interested. Not interested. (laughs) Only interested in doorbell reviews. (laughs)
1: Backblaze.com slash SSH. Go there to get a free trial, no credit card required, and start backing things up. This is also the way I go for all my friends and family. For people that ask me, Chris, how should I back up? Don't fuss with all the details. Don't mess with all the different crazy plans out there from all the different providers. Just focus on Backblaze. This is what they do. And you know them for storage, and they have an awesome deal for you. Unlimited computer backup for Macs and PCs for just $7 a month. This is incredible. And I just gave this to my mom, too, to get all of her documents backed up off her old Mac and her music and all of her photos. She only had that stuff on, like, spread out external drives. It was just no good. And, you know, if she ever has any problems, she can restore files from anywhere using the web or a mobile app. And, you know, my mom is also a graphic artist, so some of her Photoshop files are huge, ginormous. Not only does Backblaze have no problem with that, but if you ever need to restore, like, a big chunk They'll let you restore by mail, snail mail. You can purchase a disc from them and restore. They'll restore everything you need right to that. And you can use that to restore at home. And then you can send it back to them for a refund. How great is that? I think that's pretty nice. And, you know, if mom's ever worried about maybe deleting files and she wants to go back a few revisions with her Photoshop projects, which this is actually something that has happened to her in the past. For two dollars a month, she's good to go. And I like that, too, for myself, for like business documents. I think that's great. You get retention for up to a year. And the mobile apps are really well done. And Backblaze has proven it for 50 billion files that have been restored with their customers. I mean, you know Backblaze. You know they're good for this. This is what they do. But you've been waiting for a great opportunity. Now you can support the show and get a fully featured, no credit card required trial by going to backblaze.com SSH. Yep. Visit backblaze.com slash SSH. That way they know you came from the show and you support us and all of that. And you'll get a free fifteen day trial at backblaze.com slash SSH. Go there, play around with it, and start protecting your data, your friends data, and your family's data. Start today and take advantage of that free trial. Backblaze.com slash SSH. The Linux trucker writes in, I was listening
0: to your last episode and heard you talking about wall panel. Although it's great software, I feel there's a better option. The fully kiosk browser does everything that wall panel does, including motion detection, auto launch, and it will even function with the home button on Android. There's a very small $5 fee to unlock all of the features, but I don't mind supporting great software that I use every single day. Now, I was looking into this as part of the research for this episode and noticed that there's been an announcement around wall panel,
1: Chris, right? Indeed. And yes, Wall panel is great software, but it seems that it's just recently had a maintainer change. One of those kind of classic open source situations, if you will, where the maintainer kind of came up and said, gosh, I think I'm done. After all these years, I think I'm burned out. Uh, somebody stepped up right away, and we'll have the new GitHub for that in the show notes. It now has a new maintainer. But it looks like also if you were a user of the Alarm MQTT project that's a similar project that helps, you know, you set up uh, alarm panels with your own home automation system, that's still looking for a maintainer. That was another one of his projects. So perhaps, you know, it's worth keeping an eye on wall panel for a little while and see where it goes. I love it because it's in the Amazon App Store and the Google Play Store and other places, of course. But being in the Amazon App Store means that you can go pick up a Fire tablet when they're on cheap sales and just you know toss that app on there via their app store and you're good to go but it seems like maybe fully kiosk browser is a, a pretty good contender and worth looking into so i'll give that a try soon yeah when we stop using our fire tablet as a baby monitor i'm going to put the fully
0: kiosk browser on that remember i put lineage on that uh, on that tablet a little while ago it's been super solid it just we just leave it plugged in all the time because the battery is completely knackered anyway uh, and we just use it as a wise cam baby monitor you know, we can pull it up on our phones. It's,
1: it's really useful. The one thing that wall panel does, and I'd be curious to see if Kiosk does this, wall panel uh, communicates back to Home Assistant over MQTT, which is really nice, and also can turn the front-facing or rear camera into a camera that you can feed into Home Assistant.
0: Oh, Okay. That's pretty legit. That's pretty cool.
1: It is nice because it turns every it turns every tablet into a <laughs> into a camera that's feeding home system. I love that. But I have to say, so I've bought a lot of these Fire tablets, probably half a dozen, and and thrown half of them in the sink as well. I might add. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was that because uh, you know I have some here at the studio and I have some at home. And this most recent one I got, which I think is like a seven inch or something like that, I can't remember. And I've had another seven inch or four from them. It it crashes almost every day. It's a piece of garbage. So sometimes these, so maybe if I did put lineage on there, it'd be in better shape. I think it's the OS and all the crap. And the fact that it acts as an echo, I think also, which I thought would be neat. I thought that'd be neat, but ugh, it's too slow and laggy. I saw this going around online, Alex, and I think you already have the solution for it, but I don't know if we've ever mentioned it on the air. So I thought this would be an opportunity. Essentially, And we all have been through that through this. Uh, A a self-hoster goes through a lot of effort to set up a beautiful Plex library. In this particular case, he has 8000 movies, curated movies in his Plex library. Everything's beautifully set up. All of the arts working gigabit Ethernet from the video player back to the NAS that has everything on it. But when the wife sits down on the couch, she goes to Netflix every single time. And so he said, "Okay, so I'm just curious, you know, what is it about Netflix that you like more? And she tells him that she likes that Netflix kind of just tells her this is what's trendy right now. You'll probably like these. And there's too much choice when she's using Plex. And he wanted to know if there was a way to create her a curated experience. Now, you and I happen to share Plex instances, and I've been on your server, and I know that you really have taken or you at least put some effort into curating collections. And you can go to your collection screen and you have collections of everything. And it looks like you automated that. And I thought that'd probably be the solution for this individual who's trying to come up with a way to curate the experience for family members. Collections for days, bro. Yeah, I've got loads of them. Yeah,
0: you do. I use this thing called Plex Meta Manager. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's a Python script. And this thing uh, basically just runs through your Plex library using the Plex API, looks at the different TMDB uh, IDs, IMDB IDs, and creates collections based on those IDs. And the really nice thing about this is it has a whole bunch of predetermined collections. So if I look go to my movies right now, I've got a popular section. And in there, it looks at what's popular on IMDB, for example. And right now, I look at my top four on here, and I've got The Tomorrow War, Mortal Kombat, The Matrix, I guess a lot of people are catching up on The Matrix ahead of the version 4 coming out, and The Wrath of Man. I didn't have to do anything to create this collection except set up Plex Meta Manager in the first place. I've got an Ansible role that I use to do this linked in the show notes as well. And essentially all it does is it puts a couple of config files in YAML uh, and I can set up collections based on you know stuff that I want. So I want a bunch of collections based on decades, say, I've got that set up in my config file, but the honestly, the defaults it comes with, you've got popular, top-rated, Oscars, and then it starts doing things like by studio, by actor, all sorts of different uh, filters, basically, that it creates these collections with.
1: That's exactly what he needs, and that's actually something I think I want to take advantage of, too, because I've done a few manual collections, and uh, I just don't keep up with it. It's a pain to keep up with, absolutely.
0: Now, this script, I have it set on a cron job to run every night. And let me just go and look in my health checks instance, because I've started monitoring how long it takes these jobs to run. Ah, a nice metric. Plex Meta Manager, it takes, on average, let me have a look, anywhere from an hour to the longest, I think was the first one, was about four hours to run. So it's something you want to set up to run overnight, because it will churn through your library every single time it does it. And if you have a lot of content, obviously that could take a while. Uh, So just be aware of that. But yeah, I mean, looking at the average time here, it's about an hour for me, and I've got about a thousand movies in my collection. So
1: just just be aware of that. Also, just a note, people have been writing in and letting us know, and we also saw after we recorded last week's episode, we mentioned that there was a big change in the way Tuya devices were handled with Home Assistant. And it seems like for a lot of people, when they're upgrading to the October release, the 2021 October release of Home Assistant, it's nuking their Tuya setups. So if you're a Tuya user, be be careful. Make sure you got your backups. They have moved over to now an official built-in integration, but it's cloud only. And so it's (laughs) what's a common thread, and I I hate this because this has happened to me too, is people were just going along, they hit the update button, and all of their local Tuya control was wiped out. And man, have I been there when something like that's happened. I just recently tried to do the Z-Wave migration myself. And that was a dumpster fire. I had to restore from backup and just get out of there. And I have just determined I am sticking with the old Z-Wave integration for as long as possible. And I'm going to hope yeah. to just switch to Matter <laughs> like sometime next year. And then I went online, Alex, and I looked it up. and And... Man, people said they were spending like six days fixing their setups after they migrated using, to the new Z-Wave JS integration. I love Home Assistant. You all know this, and it is a
0: universal truth in my life. But it feels to me a lot like Alex as a teenager. I used to come along to my parents and say, I've got this cool idea about how you can make your life easier. All you do is this. You just do this. You just do that. And I kind of feel like Home Assistant is in that kind of adolescent phase at the moment where you just need to do this migration just this once and then it'll just be fine. And six days later, you're just still picking up the pieces. You know, it's uh, yeah. sometimes I understand it's a necessary evil, but also I do think we need to be careful somehow as a community. I I, I don't know what the solution is because if people don't maintain the old stuff, we've got to move to new stuff, right?
1: It's tricky, too, with open source because, you know, you only have so many contributors and they only have so much time. And, yeah, I do get it. And I I am actually just grateful they've kept the old integration working for as long as it does. And I'm hopeful it makes it until next year because that's when I'll probably switch over. And there were plenty of resources, but you have to have a few people that take a dive and try it and report back on how it goes. And maybe if you've got any success stories, let us know. In fact, we love all of your stories, your war stories, your success stories, and your questions and suggestions at selfhosted.show slash contact.
0: And of course, a big thank you to our site reliability engineers, our subscribers. You make this show possible over at selfhosted.show slash SRE. Every single episode, we do a little bit of shenanigans in the post show for our subscribers.
1: We talk about cars, barbecue, all sorts of, all sorts of stuff. Selfhosted.show slash SRE. Go find Alex on Twitter. He's at Ironic Badger. I'm at Chris and the show for like, you know, events, news, stuff like that at self-hosted show. And the network is at Jupiter Signal. Thanks for listening, everybody. That was self-hosted.show slash fifty-six.